0: Alright, howdy motherfuckers. This is the Fight Figures Podcast, episode number 5. We're currently recording on the 20th of May, 2022. It's 5.08pm. It's a fucking Friday. I was about to say Thursday. It's not even It's not even Thursday. It's Friday. I'm really late on this shit, okay? The only reason I'm really late is because I started a job this week. Monday to Wednesday, I was working very consistently. I was also really fucking sick, so I couldn't do anything at night. I, I wasn't even able to watch the full... Blahovich versus Rukic event on the weekend. And as such I didn't have enough time the first three days of the week. Yeah, anyway, to cut to the chase, I had no time. So here we are on Friday. Which is a bit awkward because uh one 157, one championship 157 is going down in like literally two hours or less than two hours now. I think I believe it starts at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Seven or seven thirty p.m. And it is currently five oh nine pm. And, yeah, I feel like this is a bad time to record a podcast in that regard. But, hey, you know, we'll we'll preview some of that. And by preview, I mean go, wow, I'm excited for that fight. I'm excited for that fight. I'm excited for that fight. So that'll be fun. But first and foremost, let's start and let's talk about UFC on ESPN. Blahovich versus Rakic. Because, I don't know, it happened on the weekend. It's it's pertinent to talk about what just occurred. Uh, For the most part, it was thinking back on it. Decent, wasn't terrible. Didn't make me want to fucking claw my eyes out like some of the other ESPN events recently. So that's good. It's a positive. We can start with the main event because I mean, you know, it's the fucking main event. It's what most people watched. It's what most people are aware of. Uh, Jan Blachowicz defeated defeated Alexander Rakic, which is great if you are a fan of fighters who are not boring as fuck. Because Alexander Rakic has been boring as fuck for a couple of fights in a row now he had that incredible victory over Jimmy Manoa back in 2019 that high kick step-up high kick and then he lost to Vulcan Uzdemir and then he went on a two-fight win streak against Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos and both of those fights were kind of hyped up as oh look at this two action fighters about to go down with one another it's, it's gonna be fucking fire and both of them were fucking trash particularly that Santos fight we all kind of anticipated hey look at this yes Rukic had a boring as fuck fight with Anthony Smith, but I, if I recall correctly, that was—I don't think it was on short notice, but it was—it was made the main event on short notice, and that's why it was only three rounds. And uh, it just—I don't know—it was given more of a platform than it probably should have been. And this Thiago Santos fight, people are like, "Oh wow, that'll be interesting." It's on a pay-per-view card, UFC 259. This will be good. And then it was just boring lay and prey over Santos the entire time. It was—it was terrible. So I think if you're a fan of entertaining fighters, this was ultimately the uh, the best, the best outcome conceivable. It, not the best outcome if you are Alexander Rukic's knee. No, because uh, that went fucking haywire. I, I actually don't know what the specific injury was. I did not look that up. But watching it in real time, it looked like it was a knee or an ACL issue. I don't know, he was stepping backwards trying to escape... Escape uh, combination from Yarn. So I don't know exactly what it was. Regardless, it goes down as a TKO victory in favor of Yarn Blahovic. What was going on in this fight? I took some notes. I actually took some fucking notes. Usually I just come into this having no idea what the fuck I'm gonna say, but I did in fact write some stuff down. That's what you can probably hear the paper curling as I speak. Yeah, I mean, Rukic came out looking better than I anticipated. He's incredibly fast. I've forgotten that because what his last victory that I found entertaining was the Manawa fight and that was 2019. So it's been a quick goddamn minute, okay? So, you know, I haven't seen him look particularly fast in a in a while. But, you know, he came out looking pretty good. But he, it's weird. Jan Blavich is a, he's a weird motherfucker now because in the Israel Adesanya fight, he, he looks kind of slow to the punch, but he is seeing everything. Like, Israel is such an incredible striker who sets up all the elements of his game off of other elements of his game. His jab is, you know, it's allowed to land through the way that he low kicks. The way that he low kicks is allowed through the way that he jabs. He feints a jab, sets up a low kick, and then he feints the hip. naturals draws a reaction, and that's when he lands the straight right or the straight left. Everything works into everything else. And Despite the fact that Jan was clearly the slower of the two, Jan was still landing at a more consistent rate, and he was seeing so many of these shots coming. Just really impressive. Really confusing. It just didn't make a lot of sense at the time. I I don't know. I really don't know. I think he just scoped him out well, knew what feints were going to work into what, and came prepared. And so that kind of issue reared its head again because there were so many times when... Rukich is leaping into the pocket with these incredibly fa- fast and long, athletic one twos, and Yarn fucking barely blinks. They don't really land. I think there was a there was a right hand that landed pretty early on, or maybe it was a jab. I can't recall. But something cut open Yarn just below his left eye, and he started bleeding all over the shop. He kind of looked like a character out of the fucking Northman, you know, with his facial hair, with his hair cut up top and then the blood surrounding his eye. I don't know, it looked pretty fucking gnarly. It was kind of cool. But that was pretty much the last major thing that Rakic landed in the fight. He landed some decent outside low kicks, but look at that. He couldn't actually fucking check any of Yarns. Yarn came out with an outside low kicking, you know, calf kicking game too. And whilst he as well, whilst he was landing his calf kicks, similar to Rakic, he was actually checking Rakic's. Rakic wasn't doing for Yarns. As such, it, it seemed to affect Rakic's leg a whole lot more than it did Yarns. Yarn has a beautiful cross check. Just a gorgeous cross check. I mean, sometimes it was a cross check. Most of the time, because it was an outside low kick, he was just picking it up and checking it normally. Yeah, it was just really good. Really good work from Yarn to cover that outside low kick from Rakic. And then, you know, you saw all the classic Blahovic looks. He throws that Leaning left hook to the body, which is just the scariest shot. If you are a Jan Blachowicz fan, it's a fucking ride watching one of his fights because your, your heart is in your stomach. You spend the entire time biting down on your fucking fist because he's throwing these leaning left hooks where he just throws all of his body weight forward and he essentially sprints at his opponent. And keep in mind, he is a light heavyweight, so his sprinting is not the same kind of sprinting as a flyweight. It's kind of this labored sprint that doesn't carry a lot of speed with it, but he throws his left hook to the body and then he comes over the top with an overhand right, and he kept doing it throughout the first round, and you're kind of like, oh yeah, cool, had some success with it here and there. At one point, he did his age-old classic, the left hook to the body into the overhand right, and then he follows that up with a step-up left high kick, and that's what he landed against Dominic Reyes. It wasn't a high kick in that instance, it was a left body kick got underneath the lead elbow of Reyes, and that's what led to the finishing combination. It hurt the fuck out of Reyes' body. But yeah, no, he turned it into a high kick in this instance, got some success with that. Yeah. A lot of this was just basically, Rakic is fast, but he seems to telegraph everything to some extent, and Jan can see pretty much everything coming. That's cool. And then, you know, Rakic, I think in the second round... He went for a single leg pretty early on in the round. Couldn't run the pipe successfully, so he just elevated the leg, tripped out the standing leg, sat in half guard for the rest of the fucking round. At the end of the round, Jan was nearly able to stand up, but he was kind of stuck against the fence, trying to post and create space, and Ruckic just triangled his legs, you know, wrapped them up. The classic Khabib meta... And that was that. And then it was really early on in the third round. I think here on Wikipedia, it says, okay, yeah, no, that's correct. A minute and 11 seconds into the third round was the TKO. And that was that. The crowd was really into it. I don't think it was a particularly interesting fight, primarily because it was two full rounds and then a minute and 11 seconds into the third. So it wasn't particularly long. And about half of it was taken up with Rakic sitting in guard, landing some, you know, decent shots, but nothing credible. So it's like, well, cool. Half of that was a standard Rakic fight, and then the other half was kind of this messy, light heavyweight fight where Yarn was doing good work checking and landing some ugly but effective blows, as per usual. So I think some at some point in the middle of the card, Glover Tashira put out a tweet that was like, hey, I hope you go out there and win Yarn. I'll go out and I'll beat Yuri Prohaska and then we'll uh, put together the rematch later on down the track and I'm thinking to myself do I really want to see that? Do I really want to see a rematch of the two oldest guys in this fucking division? I don't actually know statistically speaking whether they are the oldest guys in the division I'm sure Jan isn't he's like 37, 38 something like that but Glover's getting up there in age Jesus Christ I don't need to see that again that's not to mention I I don't think Glover's going to beat Yuri but crazy things have happened we'll see what else happened on this card? Ryan's band defeated Eon Kutalaba. That ended early. Thank fuck. No one really gave a shit about that. It was. I kind of just assumed that if Eon wasn't able to finish it in the first round, he was probably going to gas. I think his previous fight, he went the full distance and was able to come, able to come away with the decision victory. Was that against Devin Clark? Yes. He looked really impressive in that Devin Clark fight, but I do not presume consistency from Eon Kutalaba because his history has told me that that is just not going to be the case. So I just assumed it probably wasn't going to go well for him in terms of his gas tank in spite of his previous performance. Prior to that, prior to that Devin Clark victory, he had that draw with Justin Dustin uh, Jacoby. Jacobi, Jacobi. And then he had those back-to-back losses against Magomed unkolaev which in retrospect, I think now we can all agree, that was a complete mismatch. And the fact that they set that that rematch up was kind of nonsensical and unnecessary. Like, I understand. I understand that the first fight ended very anticlimactically because Eon Q got hit with a big shot and decided to play possum, and then the uh, referee went, hey, hold on, you actually look hurt. But, you know, still. Uncle I is a step above Eon Q in terms of skill level. We didn't need to see that rematch. Anyway, that's beside the point. This fight ended with a guillotine from Mr. Ryan Spann. It was cool. It was a nice guillotine. Cuda Lava tapped very quickly. Good. M- 2 minutes and 22 seconds or something into the first round. Yes, I'm correct. I got my numbers right. Awesome. Let's talk about Davey Grant versus Lewis Smoker, though, because that fight was a fucking banger. And we all kind of anticipated that it would probably be the best fight on the card. Just looking down the card, it wasn't a particularly... It wasn't a particularly good-looking card upon preview. But this fight always looked interesting, at the very least. Now, I thought Davey Grant looked a lot more... Looked a lot more in it. Looked a lot more calm, considered. His pivoting, I thought, was a lot better than it was in the Adrian Yanez fight. I liked what he was doing in the Yanez fight broadly, but I think he was just getting caught with the counters as he's stepping in because ultimately Yanez's speed is just sensational and Davey throws so much of his offense loopy. He throws so many hooks. And I thought he came out with some really nice he came out with some really nice side kicks. He he threw his stock standard spinning side kick a couple of times here and there. That was cool. But yeah. I, th- I thought he was a little more right down the middle, more conscientious jabbing. The first round he looked fucking, looked sensational. And there was one point where he threw that like switch left. I'm trying to find it. What did I write about it? There was a switch left hand. So he switched into southpaw, throws a straight left into a right hook. And it was like, yo, this is a fast version of Jan Blachowicz. It felt like a preview for the main event, only like, at two times speed. So that's cool. That was awesome. And then <laughs> there was one point in the first round where he lands this this left and right body hooks. These left and right body hooks successively, one after the other. And he just laughs at Lewis Smoker. He's like, yeah, I know. I got you, motherfucker. That was cool. I love how Davey Grant approaches the fight game. I love his attitude in fights. He loves a good old, an old-fashioned scrap. So that was cool. Yeah. The, Lewis was doing good work when he was raising his legs and when he was teeping as Davy was coming in, because Davy comes in, as I said just prior, with a lot of hooks. So if you have a shot like a teep and you time it correctly, you're going to get a lot further range with the teep than your opponent is going to get with their hooks, because you know their their arms aren't fully straightened out, and and even still, your arms are not going to be as long as a fucking leg. You know, it's, it's just not gonna happen for the most part. So yeah, when Smolker was raising up his lead leg and when he was teeping as Davy was stepping forward, it happened about twice in the first round. Davy was getting caught and pushed back as he's throwing these hooks and he's not actually landing. smolker did that a couple of times, it was cool, but when he was initiating offense, Grant was countering him and he was landing some fucking mean shit. He looked really powerful. Really powerful in the pocket in this fight, I thought. Really impressive stuff. And then at, it was at the end of the first round he landed a mean counter jab. And that's what led to a knockdown. And it looked like that was kind of the beginning of the end for Lewis Smolka. But then he comes out in the second round and he has a pretty damn impressive second round. He had a, a, a kind of nice staggered lunging straight right. That was some sexy shit. You know, where it, it almost feels like he's going to preempt it with a jab. So he gives that kind of staggered step and then he he folds a right hand behind it, but he doesn't throw the jab at all. I don't know. It's just kind of unpredictable timing. Landed that a couple of times. That was cool. He had a tight left hook that started finding its home in that second round, but he became a little too reliant on his high guard, like he would land a couple of of shots and then Davy would start coming back at him and he would just go back to his high guard or he would he would land the straight right into the left hook and his left hook was really nice and snappy and Grant would come back at him, like I said, and he'd go back to that high guard and just let Grant wail on the guard. And Grant clearly had the power advantage, so it wasn't a sensational strategy because Davy was getting through with a couple of those hooks, particularly his right hook around the guard. He he was landing. But, I mean, if you have an opponent who's going to hook more consistently than throw straight shots, then putting the high guard up and just trying to cover the sides of your face, not a bad strategy. Yeah. And and Smoker at one point pulled a Davison Figueroa and just realized, hey, step in elbows, my G, and just start, started throwing elbows. He landed a really nice step in upwards elbow at one point. And then there was a point where I think he threw an upwards elbow as he's stepping in and then comes around with with an elbow over the top as well with the other arm. That was cool. And then at the end of the round, I mean, there was some great work from David Grant and the clinch. There was one point where I think he landed like four knees in a row out of the double collar tie. That was cool. Good for him. And then... Smoker, I can't remember how they made it to the ground, but they made it to the ground. Smolker's back control was really cool. Had a cool armbar attempt, swept, and then lost it. But that was the end of the round, so it was all good. And then, you know, came back out, and there was a counter calf kick from Davey. It dropped Smoker, and then there was the, was that it? I'm trying to think. What was the finishing combination? Was it off the calf kick? I think it was. And then he finished him. Yeah. Something like that. I didn't write down the actual finish in my fucking notebook. I think it was off the calf kick, though. Yeah, he was having a lot of of success with the calf kick. A lot of success with the calf kick. Great stuff from Davey Grant. Looked really fucking good. Looked like a legitimate contender. Reminded me a lot of Dominic Cruz in this matchup. Just some of the angles he was taking, the counter shots he was landing... Cool stuff. I love it when he pivots as well. And Smoker as well. He was there were times where he was pivoting off the the right hand and looked really good. Like he was rolling under return fire. That was cool. Yeah. Speaking of pivoting off of the right hand, Caitlin Chikagian versus Amanda Rebus. Caitlin Chikagian took that that W. That's a difficult one because there were significant points of the first and second round where Amanda Rebus did have control. But Shikagian still got the victory. And I, I do agree with that because I think in the first round, she had the more effective offense. Second round, she probably lost. Third round, yeah, I thought she had the more effective op- offense. And and the fight didn't really hit the ground for that long in that third either. But yeah, Shikagian, her jab looks really nice. But then she'll throw her fucking right hand and she'll fall forward and like lunge forward. And it's just, ooh. She was getting caught with some good counter shots. And it's like, bruh. Bruh, let's keep it let's keep it restrained. Let's not lose our fucking heads here. But then there were times when she's throwing the one-two. She's on the jab cross, and then falling forward and pivoting off of that. Like, if you're already moving forward, you might as well pivot off line. Her issue was when she was throwing the one-two, and she'd throw it, and she'd lunge forward with the straight right. And then she'd just try and move backwards in a straight line, move back linearly. Because then she's just getting caught with pull counters from Rebus. Trying to look through my notes here. There was a comment that Shikagian had made earlier in the week how she, you know, Rebus always throw, gets that head and arm choke. She's not going to get it on me. and She immediately gets it on her. That was funny. Went into a scarf hold. Rebus was, she kept moving away from the legs preventing uh, Caitlin's Back-take attempt, yes. Early in the first round, she got her down off of that head and arm throw. And then, Shikagian, when she's put in that position, when she's put in side control, it just looks like she tries to move her legs around and get a hook in and take the back. Which is it's a decent approach, but, I mean, all Rebus had to do was just move away from the legs. And Shikagian ended up spending like half of the first round on the ground. You know, bottom side control. Because of that, it's like, let's stop looking for a fucking back take and let's just dig some underhooks and come up with a single leg or something. I'm like, bruh, I don't know. But she works with like Danaher and that that crew up there in New York. So like, fuck, what do I know? Legitimately, I'm I i do not know anything in comparison to them. So like, fuck, go off, Queen. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything more to say about that. Manuel Torres TKO'd Frank Camacho early in their fight. Torres had a mean left hook. Looked a bit awkward on the feet, if I'm being honest. Frank had a nice outside low kick. I think he recently changed camps, if the broadcast is accurate. Uh, I didn't hear exactly which camp it was to, though, unfortunately. So, I don't know what this says about that camp in question, but take it or leave it. Yeah, so his outside low kick, Frank's outside low kick was looking good, but he was getting caught in this stagnant high guard, similar to what I was saying about Lewis Smolka earlier versus Davey Grant when he's throwing, he'd throw a combination, he'd throw like the 2-3, and you know, he'd finish with the left hook, and then he'd go back to his high guard and just look to take shots on the high guard from Grant in counter. That's what Camacho did, but I mean, he wasn't landing the shots beforehand. He would just eat a shot and then just put up the high guard and try and weather the storm. And it's like, I know you look exactly like Robbie Lawler, but you aren't Robbie Lawler. This is going to be a very difficult ask of you. I, I don't think you can weather this storm because Torres sees that you're fucking hurt, mate. Then the finish, it was, you know, it was a left hook counter to a badly timed right from Camacho. He, he leapt forward with this straight right. Straight right, overhand right? I can't remember. It was a right hand. Yeah, so it was a left hook and then it was followed up by a bowler-ass right hook and that sent Camacho to dreamland. And it was very sad because we like Frank Camacho. He, he put on a banger of a fight with Damian Brown back in the day, like 2017 or something. And uh, it's kind of been up and down to him since then. And you know, I got knocked the fuck out by Jeff Neal with the left high kick and... Since then, it's felt like he hasn't really been the same. So, you hate to see it, but it is what it is. In this instance, Manuel Torres was clearly the better fighter. Alain Nascimento defeated Jake Hadley. Nascimento is one of the shoot-the-box guys. He works with Charles Oliveira quite a lot. Charles Oliveira was actually in his corner for this fight. And I thought he put on a fucking sensational performance here. He walked out to Bon Jovi. Which Bon Jovi song was it? I can't remember which Bon Jovi song it was specifically, but he walked out to it, and it was a bit weird. It was a bit, it was a bit freaky, but it was cool. We liked that. And so he comes out in orthodox, immediately starts showing those Oliveira looks. He's picking up the lead leg a lot. He was throwing uh, jumping switch kicks and jumping bicycle kicks. That was fucking cool. He was using a pull counter right hand early in the round. But who gives a shit about that? It was ultimately what was going on, on the ground and Hadley was was interesting. The commentator's brought up the very valid point of Jake Hadley got caught doing what Nascimento usually gets caught doing, which is playing the bottom too fucking often. <laughs> which I think was illuminated in a sequence. It feels like Nascimento's kind of learned his lesson with some of his losses in the UFC. He's learned his lesson about that and that was illuminated by a sequence where he had X guard on the left leg of Jake Hadley and instead of committing to the heel hook, which I, I don't think he would, would have gotten, but you know, he was in a, he was in a decent position, a position where he, he probably could have gone for that. Instead of committing to the left uh, leg and going for the heel hook, he just tries to hook the far leg and he's clearly just trying for a sweep. He's using X guard, not for the heel hook, but for the sweep. Uh, Cause he recognizes that being in top, for an extended period of time in mixed martial arts is more valuable than putting up decent, even probable submission attempts on the bottom. Because ultimately, judges aren't going to see it going your way. They're going to see you on the bottom. You're probably going to be taking shots all the whilst you're doing it. And if you're not successfully getting these submissions, then they're going to discount what you're doing and see it as ineffectual. So we saw that change in his attitude and his mentality very much displayed in this fight as he's he's looking for those sweeps. But there were some fucking sensational sequences in this. There was one point where Nascimento's on top. This is earlier earlier on in the first round. Nascimento's on top and Jake Hadley goes for an omoplata. Nascimento tries to roll out of it and it turns into an x-guard attempt from Nascimento and it was just fucking really cool. Yeah, there was there was so much crazy shit. There was one point when Nascimento isolated a leg, and then he inverted, ended up on top. Truly, a student of the school of Charles Oliveira. Thought he won the first round. Thought he won the second. Yeah, I thought it was a thirty twenty seven. Yeah, Hadley used guillotine to get top half guard, and that third. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a, a whole fuckload of notes. I just thought Nascimento was really active, both on top and bottom. thought he was really impressive. Takedowns looked good. thought his stand-up looked good for the fucking minute that we saw it. I was happy with his performance. And then we get to Vivian Ariujo. This was the headline headline fight for the prelims. Vivian Ariujo was taking on Andrea Lee. That was a pretty good fight. The main headline that seems to have come away from that is that Andrea Lee's partner and one of her head cornermen was named Tony Kelly. That's the one. Was he the guy who beat Randy Costa recently? I think he was. Yeah, he's a bit of a fuckwit. But yes, he came into the corner after the end of the first round and Andrea Lee's complaining about her eye being gouged and he just he's like, well, we knew she was going to do that. She's a dirty fucking Brazilian. And, like, I get it because there have been instances where Brazilian fighters have played a bit dirty throughout the course of this fucking sport. But, like, shit, bro, why you gotta say it like that? It makes it, it sounds like a very, hmm, it sounds very problematic. Not a big fan of xenophobia here, but, you know, each to their own, I guess. No, not really. Fuck you, Tony Kelly. Anyway, the fight was pretty good. If I'm being honest. It's a bit wild. I really like Andrea Lee's offense. I've loved it for fucking years. When was it? It was a couple of years ago. She had a fight. I'm trying to look through. Ashley Evans-Smith. That's who it was. Back in 2019. She fought Ashley Evans-Smith. And I came away from that fight thinking, wow. You know, this this division, this flyweight division is it's a bit fucking barren right now. And there's not a whole lot of people who can genuinely challenge Valentina Shevchenko. So if this chick can get like two more wins, I would not be surprised if she ends up in a title fight with Shevchenko. And I don't think she wins, but I think she gives her some issues. Some issues she hasn't seen recently, at least. And then she won against Montana De La Rosa. And then she lost that split decision at UFC 242 to Joanne Cowderwood, which I thought she could have won. If she had won, she probably would have been fighting for the belt a few months after that. Uh, alas, she did not, and she's just kind of gone up and down and up and down since. But yes, I, I thought she had potential back in the day, and I still think she has potential. It's just shit, man. As much as her in-fighting is super creative, and I love the way that she puts up high kicks in quite close spaces, she throws elbows really effectively. I think she has a really nice jab, which we don't often see for the flyweight division, the women's flyweight division. Man, she doesn't move a fucking head when she's in the pocket. She gets caught with shit that she should not be getting caught with. And Ariujo was countering her. And, yeah, it was just... some. She was landing some good shit. She landed a good double jab cross from Southpaw immediately that seemed to hurt Lee. And then Lee comes back with this counter-left hook into a right high kick. Well, it was the counter-left hook that sat Ariujo down and then she got hit with a left high kick from Lee, or right high kick, sorry immediately afterwards. And then there was a bunch of ground and pound. I think Ariujo tried to shoot him for a takedown and she got hit with some shots around the side, some big shots. It was looking like Andrea Lee was going to take it from there. And then Lee went into half guard. There was a massive double leg from Vivian Ariujo later on in that round. Then Andrea was able to stand up, utilizing the Kimura. She went to the Sakuraba School of using the Kimura. Some good double-collar tie knees from her throughout the course of the fight. But yeah, it it seemed like the preeminent issue for Andrea Lee throughout the course of the fight, despite her creative, flexible striking, she stands too tall and doesn't move her head that much in combination. Yeah. Arujo landed a really nice switch double in the second round, I believe it was. Coming out early on in the second round, yeah, I thought the the second round was a ten eight for Araujo, with the first being a ten nine to Lee. There was some great back control from Aryujo in the third round. There was some it was some good shit. Yeah, and then and then towards the end of the round, so so early on in the fight, it looked like Andre Lee had quite a distinct advantage in the stand up, but then Araujo just decided. Yo, if I, like, just pressure this motherfucker, you know, I'll have a lot more success. If I just get in her face and push her back, and lo and behold, she did. She did. Incredible. It's kind of the same thing with Rebus. She just got in her face. Yeah. And Aiyujo started countering the jab over the top in the third. She ultimately got a decision. It was 29-28, 29-27, 29-27. So she got a couple of 10-8s on the judges' scorecards for that second round. So that's cool. Uh, what else do we have? We have Michael Johnson versus Alarm Patrick. Hmm. This is... I didn't like this fight. I thought they both looked like shit. I thought Alain Patrick looked slow as fuck. Every time he was throwing a fucking kick, it seemed like he got countered with a straight left and he didn't learn his motherfucking lesson. Yeah. And both of these guys, when they were going to the body, oh my God. Shit was ugly. There was a point, again, it felt like a precursor to a Jan Blahovic fight. There was a point where Alan Patrick was throwing a left hook to the body, man, and it was just terrible. Just terrible. I didn't like it. And then Michael Johnson nearly got fucking done. What did he throw? I think he threw uh he threw a jab to the body. He was throwing his jab to the body, he threw it a couple of times. And he got countered over the top of the left hand from Patrick because it was Southpaw versus Southpaw so he got countered with the rear hand and he got dropped on his ass I think he got dropped but yes he, uh, he got hurt then he came back and Henry Hooft was giving him good instructions just like bitch stay in this shit don't lose yourself don't lose yourself in the sauce son and yeah he was he stayed in it it was cool ultimately yes it was it was good in the sense that hey Michael Johns won a fight. We like that. We're fans of that. But uh, yeah, could have been a could have been a, a lot better. Could have been a lot cleaner. Verna Jandaroba defeated Angela Hill, which is sad for me as an Angela Hill fan, but also as a Verna fan. That's not bad. She's she's adorable. I love this motherfucker, and she has such a scrappy, scrappy style. She does some fucking creative shit on the fence as well. There was one point, I think it was in the first round, where she has double underhooks. And she lets go of... Well, she, she takes her left underhook out. And she reaches underneath. So she still has the right underhook, which is the close side of Angela Hill. And then she reaches with the left arm and gets an underhook on the back of Angela Hill's left leg, which is the the leg closest to Jandaroba. And it looks like she's gonna kind of try and barrel her over the leg, like push her backwards, and then she just dropped. And I think she went for X guard. Yeah, or she just she went for a knee bar, and then she lost the knee bar, and then she went for a heel hook or a calf slicer. I think the the progression of, of moves, the progression of submission attempts, was knee bar calf slicer and then she went for a heel hook and it took Angela like a minute and a half two minutes to get out of that heel hook probably a minute and a half and yeah, you lose that much time in a round it's not good for you so Janda Rober won 30-27 on all three judges' scorecards which again, I reiterate not good if you're an Angela Hill fan but fuck it Verna Rober, man she scrambled the shit out of that fight not scrambled really but she, she's, she's a bit too slow for that she's 33 but fuck, she doesn't move like it she moves like Dan Henderson in the, the dying years of his career. Damn, yeah, no, it was a good performance from her. Tatsuro Tyra defeated Carlos Candelario. That was cool. Tyra seems like a really good prospect. I thought his fucking hands, man, were fast. This was a southpaw orthodox matchup, so obviously you you don't have, you don't have the lead hand blocking your rear hand, so you can just throw straight down the barrel with the rear hand and. Tyra was fucking using that, wasn't he? He came out and he was threw a couple of these straight rights and they were bombs, bro. They were missiles. They were coming very quickly. <laughs> and on the ground, I thought he looked really good as well. Some good takedown attempts. Some good takedown finishes. Good back control. Yes, I like this kid. He's cool. Good Japanese prospect. We like, we love to see it. And then finally, final fight on the card, Nick Maximov came out and everyone was talking about him. Was it Nate Diaz this week? Because he comes from the Diaz camp. Nate Diaz was talking him up, going, "This motherfucker's gonna beat Hamza Chemaev. And then Nick Nick Maximov comes out and he's shooting, he's scrambling, he's doing his thing. And Andre Petrosky <laughs> got him with the Anaconda choke. Was like, "Hey, hold on a minute. Does, has anyone tried to do anything from the front headlock against you? Because you're just shooting and you don't. Have, your posture's not sensational when you're shooting in this position right now. I might exploit that." And he did. And it worked very successfully. He got a submission a minute and sixteen seconds into the first round. So good job to Andre Andre Petrosky. He's a cool guy. I like him. I like the way he scrambles. Yeah, I think he's a cool guy. So that was that event. I thought it was okay. It was certainly an event. What is going on this week? Well, one 157. I don't like the way that I'm phrasing that. One Championship, 157, is on in, well, now it's probably a fucking hour and a half, isn't it? There's some fucking bangers on here. Sanshai versus Joseph Laziri. Destroy it Muay Thai Championship. That's fucking lit. Oh, I'm going to fuck up some of these names, aren't I? Rod Tang is taking on Jacob Smith. I recognise Jacob Smith's name. I'm actually going to look it up right now, which is very unprofessional of me. But forgive me. I can't know everyone in the martial arts world. Liam Harrison praises Jacob Smith. Predicts he could shock Rod Tang. Well, we'll see. Okay. Cool. Oh, yes. Jacob Smith was meant to fight Rod Tang a while back. And then he had to pull out. And so your boy Australian Daniel Williams stepped in and they had that fucking banger of a fight a little while ago last year that was sensational let's hope Jacob Smith can put up as good a fight it'll be very fun to see Rod Tang back in a Muay Thai context after that little detour he had with the Demetrius Johnson fight a couple months ago that's cool Gary Tonnen's fighting Thai Tolo. god damn it my pronunciation's bad today that is, uh, I believe, a 10-minute lightweight grappling match. That'll be fun. Cade Ruotolo. So the Ruotolo brothers are both participating one after the other. Shinya Oh, uh, God, Jesus Christ. Aoki is going to be taking on Cade. <laughs> this is bad. I should delete half of this. Uh, Jonathan Haggerty is back, and he's going to be taking on Walter Goncalves. That should be a layup for Haggerty, in my opinion. I think Goncalves is... Far too comfortable in the pocket. (laughs) I think he's going to get sliced up with elbows from the general. That should be fucking lit. Yeah, there's a couple of bangers going on there. I'm excited to see that. Uh, Yes, we'll talk about that next week, I guess. Once I watch that, when it happens very soon. We should probably talk about this upcoming fight night card. This UFC fight night card. It's Holm versus Vieira. This one is taking place at the Apex again. Who to fucking thunk it? Oh, God. Uh, This card is... What do I actually give a shit about here? Parker Porter's returning on the prelim card against a guy called Jailton Almeida. That is the most heavyweight fight I've ever heard of. A man named Parker Porter, who is this chubby, 250-pound... hundred and fifty He's probably 265 pounds, let's be real. He's just making the heavyweight division uh, limit. A dude who, you look at his physique, and you're like, this man... Probably shouldn't be winning fights in this fucking, in this organization, should he? But hey, he had that, he had that, it was an ugly win, but it was a win against Chase Sherman, which made me happy because I had never heard of Parker Porter, But I mean, I'd heard of Parker P- Porter before then, but I hadn't really watched any of his fights because I'd thought, ah, heavyweight, he's chubby, I'm probably going to miss that one, miss me with that shit, but prior to the Chase Sherman fight, I watched like literally 30 seconds of... Parker Porter's previous fight against Josh Parisian. And I was like, you know what? It looks like he knows how to throw a punch. I bet he can beat Chase Sherman, because Chase Sherman certainly can't. He certainly can't throw a fucking punch. And uh I put I put like five bucks down, which is big for me because I don't put any money down basically. It's like three or five dollar bets. That's pretty much it. So I put five bucks down. In fact, fuck it, I think I put ten dollars down. I was confident, and Parker Porter pulled it out. Based on 30 seconds of footage, I had ascertained that Parker Porter would beat Chase Sherman, and I was damn right. But he also got a win over Alan Bordeaux recently. That's cool. You'll love to see it. So, yes, I'm excited to see Parker Porter back. Man hooks to his heart's content. That's all we need. The man knows his niche. His niche is, I'm going to throw fucking hooks until you fall down. Hopefully, maybe, we'll see. Doesn't seem to have a whole lot of power, but fuck it. He makes it work. And he has decent cardio. You wouldn't anticipate it looking at him, but he does. And he's taking on a guy named Jailton Almeida. I don't even know what the fuck to make of this fight. <laughs> I've never heard of Jailton Almeida. He doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Has he fought in the UFC before? Let's have a geese He has, actually. He got a finish over at the, in the Hermanson Strickland card back in February. He got a finish over Danilo Marquez. I didn't catch that fight. Funnily enough, I should probably go watch that finish. Now that I'm thinking about it. What else is on this card? Chase Chase Hooper's back against Felipe Colares. Jonathan Martinez is fighting Vince Morales. Euros Medic has taken Omar Morales. There's a lot of Morales. There's a a Corrales, a Morales, a Morales. What the fuck's going on here, man? Is this a sick joke? Yeah, those prelims don't look sensational. What else is on here? Dusko Todorovic is back. He's taking on Chidi and Jokuani. He knocked out. Who did he knock out? Marc-Andre Barriou, that's it. I remembered. He landed a really nice jab and then it was an overhand. I I thought he looked really good, really calm and comfortable. It was his UFC debut. He's exciting. Clearly has a lot of power. Dusko Todorovic has had. An interesting UFC run. He came in and I thought he looked pretty good on the regional circuit. I remember catching his TKO over, over his TKO over Michelle Piera back in 2018. That was in Serbia. And then he comes into the contender series, got a decision victory over Teddy Ash, then TKO'd the Fuck out of Dequan Townsend, which was on another Holly Holm card. I was about to say, funnily enough, but it's not that interesting, is it? And then he lost to Punohele Soriano, and that was a pretty good fight—not a, not a bad account of himself there. Lost to Gregory Rodriguez. That was a more disappointing fight from Todorovic. I was like, you probably shouldn't have lost that, Chief. And more recently, he got a TKO victory over Marky Patolo. He stands very tall, and sometimes his striking looks fucking wonky, but the man can hit. <laughs> I think this one should be for Injakuani, but don't quote me on that because I feel like I haven't watched enough of him. And Todorovic has been a little bit up and down recently, but he he, he has got a, a TKO, and he has got a TKO recently, so he may very well come in with a lot of confidence. We'll see. Santiago Ponzinibbio is taking on Michelle Piera. That one's fun. Shit, Michelle has had such a weird fucking career. You know he. Fucked around in the regional scene for a while actually. When did he make his UFC debut? It wasn't until It wasn't until 2019 versus Danny Roberts when he had that fucking flying knee and then he threw that straight right, knocked out Roberts. It was cool. But that was yeah, it was in 2019, May 2019 at the Dos Anjos Kevin Lee card. And he was already 22 and 9 with 2 no contests at that point. What the fuck? He was deep into his career. What's that, 31 fights? I'm a fucking idiot. Of course it's not 31 fights. It's fucking 33 fights. Got him a donkey. Yeah, so he's 33 fights into his career, and he finally gets his step up into the UFC. Came in, got that victory over Danny Roberts. Had that fight with Tristan Connolly. That was the fight where he opened up the fight with a fucking backflip, didn't he? He was just jumping around doing crazy shit the whole time. And then he ended up losing. And he got DQ'd against Diego Sanchez, <laughs> and Diego was like standing there, all like proud and shit, as he got his hand raised after winning a five-eye DQ. And it's like, well, you know, you got to take what you can get, dude. You got a win bonus for that, so more power to you. But he's now on a four-five win streak, and he's actually looked kind of decent in pretty much all of those fights. He's had some boring fights, don't get me wrong. Some fights that you don't anticipate to be boring, but are boring. Because so much of his style is now like, fuck all the spinning and all the spinning shit and fuck all the flips and all that good shit. We're just going to use lateral movement. The man keeps a really flat stance like 50, 60% of the time. And he just kind of skirts around the outside of the cage, just going back and forth and back and forth. And then he explodes with darting straight rights. He's been using the push kicks, the teeps down the middle quite effectively from both stances. Lots of outside low kicking. I thought his jab looked quite improved in the Fialio fight. In the Fialio fight, he actually he dealt with quite a bit of adversity in the first round. Fialio looked really good. And that was the, I think that was Fialio's UFC debut. He got fed to the fucking Wolves. So obviously, that's before we know that Fialio, Fialio is, is quite good, as we have found out to the Miguel Bieza fight and what recently happened, um, like last week, two weeks ago. The Cameron Van Kamp fight. So before we all knew that, he storms in against Michelle Piera and uh, and has a decent first round. But then Piera was able to recover, utilize his lateral movement, was able to shut down that left hook, and, and additionally he just kept a good high pace. And Fiallo kind of gassed in that second round. So that was that was a pretty damn good performance from Piera, and I think this is a tall task. Santiago Ponzinibbio is an interesting character because he was on. He was on a he was on a very good trajectory for a while there. He was on a on a fantastic win streak in the UFC. He had wins over Nordin Taleb, got that KO over Gunnar Nelson, which people still kind of look back on and go, "Hmm." It did look like you eye poked the shit out of him, so I don't know how much to count that. But then he had that really impressive gutsy victory against Mike Perry, which is probably one of Perry's you know, best fights, best performances. So to get that win over him was really impressive. And then he had that beatdown of Neil Magny back in 2018. And then he disappears for fucking ages. Comes back against Li Jingliang, gets KO'd. That was the Holloway cater card at the beginning of last year. And then he comes back in the beginning of... Or in the middle of last year, sorry. And he fights Miguel Beza in a fight of the night banger. That was a war. And then he got... You know, he lost the split decision to Jeff Neal at UFC 269, which was not as fun a fight as I think we all wanted and anticipated. So he's been a bit up and down. A lot of inactivity for an extended period of time, but he's now fought a couple of times What he came back beginning of last year, fought in the middle, and he fought Jeff Neal at the end of last year. Was that right? Did I read that correctly? Something like that. So he's fought... His activity is tapering upwards, which is cool. I think Ponzinibbio should win this fight because he has a superior jab. But ultimately, Michelle Piera is a very big welterweight. He's fucking huge. And I think Ponzinibbio, if, if they initiate some grappling exchanges, I think Ponzinibbio will be at a disadvantage. He has a really nice, well-timed overhand right and his outside low-kicking game is seriously impressive as we saw against Neil Magny. But this is... This is probably going to be a tall task now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, no. I think this will be a tall task for Ponzinibbio. If I'm a betting man, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, I'd probably put money on Michelle Piera. I think his lateral movement's going to make it really difficult for Ponzinibbio to get consistent success with his jab. And this isn't a main event or anything, so it's three rounds. If it was a main event and it was five rounds, I think Ponzinibbio will be able to work into his game a lot more efficiently. And by those fourth and fifth rounds, I would assume that Piera gets properly tied, because he has kind of gassed at the end of third rounds before. But over three rounds, I think Michelle Pierre is too big to lose in the grappling. He is very willing to just grab a double underhook, grab the double underhooks and force his man up against the cage and just grind them out there. I think he'll have a lot of success doing that against Ponzanibio. Even though, you know, Ponzinibbio works out, I believe he still does. He used to work out at ATT, and so his cage grappling is pretty damn good, but I think Michel Pierre's might very well be superior. Yeah, I think at range, Ponzinibbio is going to struggle to cover the distance land consistently with his jab. I think he's going to have to be careful of the blitzes of Piera. He, he throws those sprinting, shifting shots. He loves a good straight right, straight left, while changing stances simultaneously. He loves those kind of combinations and just running forward as a, at his opponents. And I think Ponzanibio, he looked pretty decent in the Jeff Neal fight, but I think his speed has, has fallen quite a bit over the years, mainly due to his inactivity. And I think, I think Michelle Pierre might catch him out. I, th- I think it's probably going to be a decision. I think a three-round decision in favor of Piera. I wouldn't be surprised if Piera wins the first two and then loses the third. But ultimately, yeah, I think Michelle might, might take this this fight. I wouldn't be disappointed, though, with the Santiago Ponzanibio win. I like the guy. I think he's cool. It, it's heartwarming to see him get a victory after all the hardships that he's faced over the course of the past few years. But yeah, I think this is Michelle Pierre's fight to lose now that I'm thinking about it really hard. And in the main event, Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieira. Oh my God, I don't give a shit about this fight, huh? Yeah, no. Mm, I can see, I'm going to make this really short. In, in essence, I think as a preview, this fight is probably going to look a lot like Holly Holm's fight with Irina Aldana. Irena Aldana, ooh, she basically just waltzed forward into the counter-left straight just constantly. Yeah, there were a couple of left body kicks, a couple of left high kicks, a couple of left inside low kicks, and that, that stomp, that lead leg stomp that Holm likes. There was shit like that, sure. But for the most part, that entire fight was pretty much Holly Holm drifting back, and because Irena Aldana could not cut the cage to save her motherfucking life at the time, she just kind of follows Holm around on a straight line. No lateral movement whatsoever. And so Holm drifts over to her left. And then as Aldana steps forward into the pocket, she plants her foot and comes forward with the straight left. Or she comes forward with the straight left leading into a combination. And just she kept doing that, kept doing that, kept doing that. And that was basically five fucking rounds. I think Ketlin Vieira is probably going to do the same thing. She has a very plodding style of striking. She got caught in exchanges with Misha Tate, and I don't think Misha is as fast as Holly Holm, Holly's striking, we all make fun of her being ish-ish, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing super satisfying to watch, but as we saw against Aldana, it can be successful in the right circumstances, and I think with such a plodding striker as Vieira, whose hair movement's not great, and I don't think her lateral movement, her cage cutting... I don't think it's up to snuff. Yes, she has... I think she's a more imposing figure than uh, Reyna Aldana was. And that's that might give her... She might win a couple of exchanges here and there. But ultimately, I think Holly Holm's just going to be drifting back in with a counter left hand. And then when she's coming forward, she's going to be throwing those shifting shots as well. This, this is the fucking... Michelle Pierre is going to be throwing shifting shots, just running forward. Holly Holm does the same thing. So... Yeah, and watch out for the high kick at the end of those sprinting combinations from home as well. As well as, I mean, yeah, there's probably going to be a few check hooks landed here as well. (laughs) If she's not having success with the counter left hand, expect her to start circling out to her right and trying for the check hook over the top into the left body kick. That's probably a combination you're going to see a little bit throughout the course of this fight. Yeah. Yeah, what else is going on this week? Is there anything else interesting that I can talk about? Is there a Bellator card that I won't actually watch? Holy shit, I forgot about this. There is an Eagle FC card. Oh my god. Junior Dos Santos is fighting in the main event against Jorgen De Castro, a fighter who probably shouldn't have been dropped for the UFC heavyweight division. When you've got motherfuckers like Chase Sherman and Parker Porter in your heavyweight division... Why are you dropping motherfuckers like Jorgen DeCastro, even if they're on a bit of a losing streak? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, no, he was on a pretty considerable losing streak. Got that win over Justin Tuffer in Australia at UFC 243. And then he went on a three-fight losing streak versus Greg Hardy, Carlos Felipe, and Judges Daniel. Hmm, I don't remember that fight at all. But he's currently on a two-fight win streak. Most recently got a guillotine over Sean Asher at Eagle FC 44. And that sets him up for this fight against former, two-time, two-time, one-time UFC heavyweight champion Junior Dos Santos. Oh, I think Jorgen Castro is fast, but is he fast enough to catch Junior Dos Santos? Probably not. Junior Dos Santos might be slower now in his old age, but shit, he can still throw a mean jab to the body. Still throws a wicked overhand right. Probably still throws a great push kick. Remember that push kick he threw against Ben Rothwell that just sent Ben Rothwell fucking seven miles and a half? Yeah. I feel like that's probably going to be the story of this fight. There are just so many fights I can point to where Junior Dos Santos just dismantles these guys who are slower, who rely purely on the left hook into the overhand right. You know, go back to that fight he had against Lagoy Ivanov, Ben Rothwell. Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, I I don't see it. I don't see it. Derek Lewis like there's just there are fights where he's just systematically beating up these guys who have very limited range weapons. And in those circumstances if you have a good jab to the body as Junior dos Santos does, you can fucking you know have a day out in the town. In the co-main event, <laughs> Hector Lombard the Cuban ambassador for Republicans across the United States. Hector Lombard himself. Have you ever seen this motherfucker's Instagram? It is horrendous. Horrendous. Yeah, he's um, he's problematic to say the least. <laughs> don't look him up. Uh, don't give him a follow. He's a fucking... Uh, not a big fan. He's taken on Tiago Silva. Okay, cool. Great. Who gives a shit? What else is on this card? Maki Patolo's fighting. That's cool. He's got great scrambling. I love his wrestling. I love watching him wrestle. Uh, Andrew Sanchez, he's on this card as well. He's going to be fighting Gabriel Checo. Cool. Ahmed Aliyev. Taking on Daryl Horsha. Oh, no. Horsha's going to get fucking PTSD to his Khabib fight. It's not going to be as bad as his Khabib fight, but like shit, you know. (laughs) Not ideal. Uh, what else have we got on here? Roosevelt Roberts is on this card. Taking Alejandro D'Almeida. Cool. Sean Soriano versus Paulo Silva. That's a banger. I think. I hope it is. Yeah, no. There's some decent fights on this card, actually. I don't I don't mind this. I might give it a geese. It should be tomorrow, I believe. And I do have all of tomorrow to do fucking nothing. So, might give that... A look. But yeah, one championship, one, what did I say, 147? I think it was one, 157, sorry. That's on in now, probably about an hour. So I'm going to sign off in a second unless, is there any news I can think of? It was announced like 14 hours ago. Armin Sarukian's is going to be fighting Matthias Gamrot on the June 25th. UFC Fight Night card in a five whole I didn't realize it was a five-round fight. Oh, shit, that's hard. Yeah, no, I'm excited for that. That's cool. That's very nice. Damian Myers is going to be taking on Benson Henderson in a grappling bout on June 25th. Cool. That's cool. Oh, no! I was confused. I just noticed on the... <laughs> on the... When I was looking up the Wikipedia page for the one championship event, I was a bit confused because I was looking at the card, looking it up and down and going, hold on a minute. Where is my boy? Where is Jonathan Haggerty? I thought he was fighting Walter Goncarves and I saw Josue Cruz and I'm like, that is not Jonathan Haggerty. Someone must be confused. And now I'm looking at it. I'm looking through the MMA subreddit, and I've just seen the post that says Jonathan Haggerty out of one one fifty-seven and flyweight Muay Thai Grand Prix felt unwell and is now not medically cleared to fight. Fuck that! What the fuck, dude? That sounded like I'm angry at Jonathan Haggerty. You know, if, if he's not ready to fight, then obviously he shouldn't fight. Like shit. That's sad for me as someone who was excited to watch Jonathan fucking Haggerty. Damn. I am proper disappointed. How good. Uh, This is not necessarily MMA news specifically, but Cain Velasquez got denied bail. Remains in custody. A lot of motherfuckers on Instagram are really pissed off at it. They're like, oh no, free Cain, free Cain. I'm like, bitch. I, I thought the story, I think the story behind that is that, yes, you know, he went and he tried to, he tried to kill the individual who allegedly... Sexually assaulted his cousin, I believe it was. You know, I fucking... Okay, I get being angry as shit. I'm not going to condone trying to kill that individual, particularly when it has not been proven. But, you know, cool, whatever. You're going to go and you're going to try and get citizen justice. All right, whatever. Just don't fucking... Don't shoot at randoms. That That was the biggest concern, because Kane, I think, ended up shooting at someone who was not in any way, shape, or form related to the circumstance at hand. He ended up shooting at someone innocent. Someone who did not allegedly sexually assault his cousin. So, yes, he got denied bail, and a bunch of motherfuckers on Instagram were really angry about that fact. And it's like, well, the individual in question is still out on bond. So, yeah, you you assume that if Kane is allowed to get out, then he will he'll probably go and try and kill this motherfucker again. And the same kind of scenario could occur. He could end up shooting at someone who is not related to the case. I mean, he could end up shooting at the alleged perpetrator of the other crime as well, and that's bad enough. But then shooting it at some fucking randoms, if that happens again, that's a fucking major miscarriage of the law. Like, shit, it's not happening. Some motherfuckers are angry, but it's like, no shit. What do you expect, guys? Paul Daly retired after his last fight in Bellator. Got that fucking banger of a finish against Wendell Giacomo. How good. Oh, last thing. Hmm. Gregor Gillespie, sorry, Gillespie, has been talking his shit on Instagram and saying that oh, he's just got the dumbest fucking argument. And, like, yes, okay? I'm going to be on the fighters' side versus the organisation 99% of the time. But Actually, no, fuck it. This isn't even a UFC versus fighter issue. This is fighter versus being realistic about their position in the rankings and recognising that, like, shit, you can't expect one thing from other people but then not offer that same thing to those below you. So, Gregor Gillespie puts this post on Instagram that's like guys I'm still in the UFC relax I'll explain he's removed from the rankings but not from the organization because he hasn't fought for a while okay cool I I, according to the comments he wasn't actually even removed from the rankings he's still there so I don't know what the fuck he's talking about whatever he's like I'm not fucking going anywhere I love the UFC, and contrary to what the haters say about them, the UFC has always been more than good to me. Pay is great, everything's super organized, the follow-up after from medical staff is unbelievable. Like, okay, yeah, the medical staff thing, I get, because a lot of the time you'll be fighting, if, if you're a regional mixed martial arts star, you're going to be fighting on some fucking dodgy-ass cards. I get it. So the medical the medical oversight from the UFC is going to be far superior to what you would find in your, your standard regional show. In fact, it's going to be better than what you'd find in pretty much all of your all of your competitors in their shows. So that's reasonable enough. The pay is not it's not fucking great. Could be fucking better, you know? Everything's super organized. I guess. I guess. Yeah. Pay is great. I, guess, I keep coming back to pay is great. Like bitch, you can't have any sponsors. Like come on, dude. Hundred percent class act, top of the food chain. Alright, whatever. It is not their fault I have not had a fight. This is where it gets fucking irritating. He's like, they had, they have offered me plenty of fights in the last year. I've accepted any and all of them against guys who are ranked ahead of me. Outside of the very short notice ones like four to eight days. So he's accepted any and all of them against guys who were ranked ahead of him. Alrighty then. So he'll only fight up the rankings. Now it's like... Cool, but you you just you fight so infrequently that it's just not fucking happening, dude. Conversely, I have obviously turned down all of the ones of guys ranked behind me, so he won't fight anyone who's ranked behind him. Like no one. What would, that Kevin Lee fight wasn't that like Kevin Lee was ranked above him, correct? I'm trying to think. He would have been, right? That was a lightweight, maybe, I assume, I don't know, but he fought, he got knocked the fuck out, and then he fought Carlos Diego Fiera, and he won that fight in the second round, but, like, that's been it, since getting knocked out by Kevin Lee, he beat Diego Fiera, and that's it, and this motherfucker's complaining, like, oh, yo, I will only fight people at the top of the food chain, like, shit, dude, you're already pretty old, you don't have time you've got to prove to motherfuckers that you can go with the top of the food chain, and, I don't know, you You kind of didn't look that great against Diego Fierro. It was a banger of a fight, but, like, in the first round, it looked like he had you for a bit there, dude. So, like, why are you talking all this shit? Why will you not fight anyone below you? Like, if it's a person that's one rank behind you, and you win, and you do it in a very impressive fashion, there's a very good chance you get pushed further up in the rankings. I don't know, like, there's a point where you can sit out where you can say, alright, I'm no longer going to fight against the guys behind me. You've kind of got to reach a certain point, though. You've got to get a certain level of credibility in terms of a single victory. The victory that prompts you sitting out for an extended period of time has to kind of have a have a full stop attached to it. And who the fuck is looking at that Carlos Diego Fierro fight and going, that's a full stop? Particularly when you're looking at the stacked-ass lightweight division, where... Everyone's fighting everyone. It's a fucking crazy shit. Charles Oliveira's at the top of the heap, and he's fighting all comers. He's fought Michael Chandler, Dustin Poye, Justin Gaethje, back-to-back-to-back to back to back over the course of, what, a full year? A little less than that? A little more than that? I can't remember. But, like, he's fighting very consistently. You fought once against Carlos Diego Fiera in the past few years, and that's it. I know what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, I'm on a mission to fight the top guys with the lowest number next to their name. Like, like I get it. I know you want to game the system and you want to just, you want to fight as few times with the most reward, but like, shit, dude. I don't think you can do that. Particularly, like, he wasn't the most exciting fight when he beat Yancy Medeiros back in, what was that, 2018? He's not the most exciting guy in the world. I don't know. It's a it's a big ask. And then he's like, I am and have been patiently waiting for the right fight, one that is going to push me towards the belt. Since Ferguson turned it down like a hundred fucking times in the last year, since Mikey Chandler didn't seem too interested in fighting me when I brought it up, and since RDA just turned the fight, turned down the fight against me, which I accepted by the way. I guess Benil Dariush will have to do. I know you're banged up and recovering, big dog. So just give me an give me eight weeks, uh, give me an eight week heads up, and let's do the thing. Like, bitch, Benil Dariush is so far above you in terms of credibility in this division. How many times has Benil Dariush fought in the past few years in comparison to fucking Gregor Gillespie? I'm looking it up. I'm having a gaze. I'm very intrigued. I feel like it's a few more times. So he lost Gregor Gillespie, this is. Beat Yancey Medeiros in January of 2019. Okay, that's fucking three years ago, over three years ago. And then he loses to Kevin Lee at the end of 2019 at the Masvidal Diaz card. So November of 2019. Loses to Kevin Lee via high kick. Okay, cool. We have all seen that highlight. He got knocked the fuck out. And then he takes a layoff of like a year and a half, comes back in May 2021, and beats Diego Fierro via TKO in the second round in A sensational fight, but not the most convincing fight. Not the fight where you're like, oh, he's that motherfucker at lightweight. Alright, so he's fought once since November of 2019. Alright, how many times has Benil Dariush fought? So, he fought Drakkar Close, USC 248 in March of 2020, win via KO. He KO'd Scott Holtzman via spinning backfist in... August of two thousand twenty, got the split decision over Carlos Diego Fiera in February of twenty twenty one, and then he most recently got the, the unanimous decision over Tony Ferguson at UFC two hundred sixty two. So he's fought four times versus Gregor's one and he has two finishes in that space as well. And also he beat Tony Ferguson, who is or at the very, at the time was considered a much more significant win than Carlos Diego Fiera. Who, who Benil himself has beaten as well. So it's like, we can cross off the one win. Like, they cancel each other out. There's three other victories on Benil Darius's record. I don't really like Benil Darius's character. I don't really like what he stands for. I don't really like it. I mean, like he seems like a nice guy, but he's... I mean, he was on fucking Candace Parker shit. You know? But I can't deny that he's a fucking solid fighter, and he probably deserves to fight... in a number one contenders matchup. He deserves to fight in an Eliminator fight. He doesn't deserve to fight in an Eliminator fight versus Gregor Gillespie. That feels like a step backwards. So it's like, shut the fuck up, Gregor Gillespie. Please eat a massive dick. Yeah, and then he's like, P.S. RDA, Chandler, offer always fucking stands. RDA was cool with fighting me on four days' notice when I was literally on a mountain seven hours away from home when he needed a last second replacement, but when just offered fight with me since then, where I would have had a fight camp, he straight up said no. It's like, shut the fuck up, Greg Gillespie. Shit. No one gives a fuck. I don't know. Anyway, that's that. Jesus Christ, been an hour and ten minutes. If you've stuck it out this long, the two people who listen to this shit, I appreciate you. I respect you. I acknowledge your commitment to the craft. Yeah, I still haven't made that Mike Brown video that I keep fucking talking about. What else am I going to be doing this week? I might have a look at... I might tomorrow do a short video on one of the fights that happens on on the one championship card going down probably right now now that I'm thinking about it I might do a little video on something some interesting shit that I see because it's really easy to screen capture shit that's on YouTube versus trying to screen capture shit you know on UFC Fight Pass so it, you know streamlines the whole goddamn process I might do that that'd be cool I probably won't do that realistically yes there's some interesting things going on in the next week Man, I'm just kind of... I'm just waiting for USC 275, pretty much. There are some shitty fucking UFC cards. Volkov, Rosen, That's got some shit on it. But yeah, I'm basically just waiting for Tashira versus Prohaska, because that's a fucking slapper of a card for the most part. Actually, hmm, is that as much of a slapper as I thought? Holy shit, I didn't realize Jake Matthews versus Andre Fialio was announced for that card. Fuck me. Andre Fialio's that guy. He has quickly become my favorite fighter. Holy shit. Anyway, that is completely beside the point. I hope you guys have a sensational rest of your week. Have a great weekend. I hope you don't feel too sad about the fact that you're not you're not about to watch Jonathan Haggerty Jonathan Haggerty fight. I hope you're not too sad about that fact. I hope it doesn't drag you down into the depths of depression and despair like it is me right now. I'm going to go and make a cup of tea probably. Get ready for this one championship card and think about make dinner. Think about making dinner, but then not do it because I'm a degenerate, a bad person. Not a not a great individual. Anyway, have a great night. I'll catch you later. Bye.